From the headquarters of Team Cowboy, coming to you all the way from Anderson, South Carolina, this is the Finance Cowboy Show, where we're going to teach you how you can create your dream life through the greatest asset in the world, real estate. I'm your host, Jaron Sustar, and I went from having zero properties in 2018 to a portfolio of over $5 million worth of real estate by 2021. And I am excited to be able to teach you all the lessons, tips, and tricks that I have learned throughout my journey while also introducing you to some of the greatest real estate minds in this entire world. So without further ado, let's get this party started. What's up, friends? If you've been wanting to get into real estate, or maybe you're in real estate and you got a few properties, but you want to scale, but you're just not sure how, I want to help you out. The waitlist to my signature course and mentorship, the Rental Academy, is officially open. All you have to do is text me the word WIN, W-I-N, to 864 660 7148 and that will put you on the wait list so you'll be the first to know when the doors are open to the academy so you can ensure that you get a spot and along the way I'm going to send you a lot of cool behind the scenes content as well as we lead up to the day that the doors actually open to the course there are tons of students already currently enrolled in the Rental Academy having amazing success. And I can't wait for you to join in with those folks who are already crushing it so that you can change your life for the better. You can give yourself your time back. You can have that financial freedom and you can build generational wealth for years to come. All right. So I'm here with the one and only Felipe Mejia. What is up, Felipe? Dude, what's up, man? I'm so happy to be here. Glad you invited me on. Dude, I am honored that you're here. I have been waiting for probably about a year and a half now to return this favor. So when I first came on the scene on social media, because that's how we found each other, um, I probably had, I don't know if I had a thousand followers and somehow I connected with Felipe and he, you know, I don't know how many you had at the time, but you probably 20,000 and was crushing it and you've been doing it for a little while, but he, they had a podcast at the time and you invited me on the podcast and y'all were the first podcast that I ever did. And I can remember what it was like. I was sitting in this corner that's right across from me. I didn't have this office at the time. None of this, like I got a nice little background and backdrop and all kinds of stuff. I didn't have that. I had a computer with the camera. The lens was broken and I had no um, microphone. Okay. And I remember we got done with the podcast. You, you and Diego were, were great. Y'all are so nice. And you turned the record button off and you said, Hey dude, here's the deal. You're going to be on a lot of podcasts. Um, go get you a camera that works and a microphone. And you sent me links <laughs> to go get stuff because I, it was so That's bad. And if you go back and look at the episode, I think it's on YouTube or something, but I don't even it know is. why y'all posted it. It's so bad. <laughs> it was awful. I'll I don't know if you remember a, that sure or not. Tag you. When you let this podcast out, I'll make sure to tag the link to that one so everyone can see how much you've grown. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And it's because hey, like, of you, like bro. A good friend though, right? That's like a friend that tells you you have something in your teeth or a booger in your nose or something, right? It's like, all right, dude, (laughs) you're going to do a lot more of these. Please just let's get it. Let's get it together. Yeah. And you said it in a way that only you could say it. Like you were like, like you were, you were nice about it. Be like, bro, like, come on. Like, what are you doing? You don't show it to, and I, bro, I was green. I knew nothing about social media, but you like, let me know real quick. You're like, Hey, clean it up. Like people are going to see this. And I was like, all right, I like this guy. Like he's, he's straight up with me. And you know, ever since then, 
Uh, we've kept in touch. We, um, you know, we won't, we won't do it on this podcast. We'll save you listeners, but you know, we, we love to dig in on politics and, uh, uh, saucy subjects. I think me and Felipe both, we flirt on the line of like, we don't give, uh, rats behind really what you think about us. Uh, we are who we are. You either take it and you love us or you hate us and you leave it. You know, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Felipe, but I feel like that's kind of your no, mindset. I would agree, as well. man. I, uh, I love your, I love your social media. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. I think you said you came from uh, a preacher's background. You're born in the South. You know, you, you, you love your family. You love hunting. You, I mean, you're like, guys, it's right there. I am who I am. I'm here to provide as much value as I can. And I'm the same way, right? Like, um, you, you're, you're not going to be loved by all and that's okay. And my content isn't for everyone, but I'm here to provide value through, um, my social media about real estate investing, reaching financial independence. It will get into my story, why I'm so passionate about real estate and coaching it, especially, um, and how teaching it to others and how it's been such, so rooted in my background back to where I was even preteen. Um, and we'll get into that story for sure. Yeah, let's do it because you have, I mean, the reason I wanted to have you on here, number one, uh, to, to dig into real estate stuff, which we obviously will, you, you, you understand the game, you know how to be successful in it in a lot of different facets, wholesaling, residential, short term flipping, you've done it all. Um, but before we get into that, I want to, I want you to just tell people your story, where you started from to how you got to where you are today, because it's, it's inspiring as all get out. It's, it's, it really is a great story. Yeah. yeah. So um, how did I get here? So there's a man and a woman and they love each other. No. <laughs> <laughs> X-rated. No, uh, <laughs> two genders. Okay. I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay. I'm done, I'm done. Oh, um, God. <laughs> oh my God. All right. So my, welcome to the Joe uh, Rogan experience. Oh my, his podcast is a trip. I can listen to some episodes and some episodes. I'm like, I'm out. I can't do this. Like, but it always, always, It's like a bad buffet. When you're hungry, you go. But every time you're like, why did I do that? Yeah, you get home. You're like, oh, this insulin's killing me. Oh, dude, I'm telling you. All right. So real estate. Yeah. So <clears throat> my story. Whew, my, uh, my parents got divorced when I was 11. And uh, to make a long story short, my mom had to create or reconstruct her basement into living spaces um, because financially, when my parents got divorced in our culture, right, the man makes the money, the woman stays home and make the house. Not that it's right or wrong. It's just the way it is. It's not going to change. So when my dad left, right, um, my mom kind of was put in a tough spot. So she rented out the basement in the house, which is the only thing she was awarded at the divorce was the property. Um, and she rented out the basement to local construction workers um, so that she could at least pay the mortgage, right? So if she could take care of the mortgage, she knew that she would be able to keep us together. Now, eating and, and, and uh, you know, anything above that, we were like struggling. Um, but that was the first step towards her freedom. And I don't mean financial freedom. I mean like us staying together as a family, right? Like I'm not even talking about abundance yet. Um, so she did that and that was my first like look at the power of real estate. People do real estate for financial independence, for freedom, for, to get out of their W2 jobs, to do a bunch of different things. But I I've yet to hear somebody say that, you know, they're, they learned or got into real estate, um, to keep families together. And if you read statistics oh. around the country, um, you know, kids that are, that are, that are in a household that are not moving all the time, that have a stable, um, living space, 
um, are far more likely to be successful to stay out of jail, stay out of prison and all these things. So my mom um, let go of her comfort, uh, you know, rented out her basement so that the family could stay together uh, as much as possible. Um, and, and then that from was there, before house hacking was cool. If there was no name house hacking at the time. Yeah, your mom no, was were, a pioneer. This, this, this she didn't even know before it. it was social media. Cool to house hack. This was more necessity. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. That's amazing. Um, from there, uh, middle school is fine. Then went to high school. Uh, I was kicked out of high school, uh, for selling dope. So I then ended up going to an alternative school for a half a year. So I had entrepreneurial already in me, not the right kind, but it was there. <laughs> Um, you know, I always tell people, I don't care if you're flipping rocks, burgers, but at least at the end of it, get to start flipping houses and you'll make real money. Went to alternative (laughs) school for a year. Um, I met a youth pastor that was teaching there and, uh, no idea what he was doing there. Like, it was like, it was like seeing like a white man in, uh, my pueblo back in Mexico where my family's from. Like, it was like, (laughs) what are you doing here? Like, it was all like, uh, Police officers that were off duty that were like teaching or it was like uh, guards from the local jail. Like and then there was this youth pastor. Super random. Like talk about being the light and darkness. Right. Um, dude really took that verse to the heart. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'd say you yeah. would do what? No. I, yeah. I just said, yeah, I'd say that's he's, he's brave I soul. Like, I, don't you know? you, I, like, I don't know what you're doing here. Anyways, he. <laughs> um he would like really pour into the the guys that were there. Honestly, no one listened. We all knew he was, we just, everybody thought it was like a weirdo. Um, but <laughs> one day I missed the city bus going home and I went back to the school to call my mom uh, because the city bus runs like every, I don't know what it was, but anyways, I, I, it was going to be a while before I got back home, went back to call my mom. His name was Mr. Wiley. And I asked Mr. Wiley, I was like, Hey, can I use your phone? I got to call my mom. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, if your mom's cool, then I don't mind dropping you off, giving you a ride. Um, and it's funny because now, now knowing what I know, like, we, like we're in the middle, like he drove like 20 miles the wrong way to drop me off to then have to go another to his house. I felt terrible once I found out. But mom said, yeah, that's fine. Wow. You, you can give my son a ride home. Um, and on the way home, he had Christian music playing and we just got to talking. Um, I mean, you're a believer. You understand where this story goes. Before the end of it, I was going to church with him. Uh, really cool guy met his family, um, really kept me out of trouble. You could say in, in school, like he would like, I always felt like he was watching when I was in alternative school. Like I would always look over my back, whether he was there or not, but I kind of started feeling like Mr. Wiley, like wouldn't approve of this in school or whatever. So that really started help. That kind of like, like the Holy spirit in him started working through me at that school, if that makes sense. And then after public wow. schools, wouldn't take me back. Cause I was a trouble kid or whatever. Um, and I was six or I was a year from graduating. So they were like, he's just going to drop out. Um, so the system is set up for you to fail once you get kicked out of uh, public schools. But Mr. Wiley took it upon himself to find me a Christian um, high school that I could go graduate at. And then I went to a local Christian high school, graduated high school. Uh, from there, I went to college, wanted to be a police officer uh, my whole life after that. Because I was like, man, Mr. Wiley helped somebody out. Maybe I want to help someone out too. So that was kind of my vision and my goal. Um, that didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. Definitely the Lord had different like a vision for me because it felt like the whole time wanting to be a police officer was kind of an uphill battle. 
which is strange because I'm bilingual, college degree. That story, and you don't have to get into it, but I, I don't know where I heard it. You may have told me one time, but that story in itself is a wild story. The whole police academy. Yeah, story. yeah. I don't mind getting into it a little bit here. We were, I was, so I went to the academy for, I think I was three days in and the officer kind of pulled me aside and was like, uh, hey, uh, we've kind of met quota with the Latino officers that we need. And I was like, like, I was kind of confused. And he was like, and he pointed at this young lady who was Puerto Rican. So she was like, she's a girl. She's bilingual. She's, she's Hispanic. She meets like three different check marks that we need. We literally don't need you. And I was like, uh, like this is a joke, right? Like this is something in a movie. Like you're kidding, right? Like, cause I mean, think about it. I'm fresh out of college, 21, 22 years old. I'm still a kid. And I'm like, you're joking. And he's like, no, like good luck next year. I'm like, dude, it took me three years to get here. Like you, you're joking. And this is Metro Nashville Police Department. I don't care to call them out. Like, he was like, no, like, we've met a certain quota. Like, you're good. And I was like, dude, this is all type levels of messed up. Like, okay. I mean, I guess it is what it is. And the only way that I've been able to, like, cope with that, I guess you could say, is, and I know it's not right, but it's just something I tell myself. It's like, maybe he didn't see something in me that I needed to be a police officer. And I know that's wrong, but that's the only thing that I could, like, cope with because I couldn't figure out why he did it. Um, and that was it, man. I mean, honestly, after that, I was like, this, this ain't it. I mean, I tried other police departments and it just kept not working out. Um, it was like fighting an uphill battle. I was like, why is this so hard? Nobody wants to be a cop anyways. It's a shitty job. Excuse my language. Like no one likes cops. Like how am I not able to get in? And clearly I saw it It is just not (laughs) God's will for me. Um, so then I went back to just working on the construction site, Uber doing just odd jobs here and there trying to figure it out. Um, I was going to go work at a jail, just different things. And, and, and something just didn't feel right. Um, then I found real estate and six years ago, that completely changed my life. Um, oh. I sold the first mobile home that I ever had. I flipped that into a single family home. That single family home has made me over half a million dollars now in just equity and cash flow and just all the other perks that comes with real estate. Um, and I just never, never stopped going. I started listening to Bigger Pockets, Brandon Turner, before Bigger Pockets was cool. Um, and I mm-hmm. devoured every episode from one to like 300, whenever I was on the podcast episode 329. And wow. I listened to every episode while I was in the back of U-Hauls unloading um, furniture because that was the last job I had before I got full-time into real estate was uh, I owned a small moving company where I would load and unload U-Haul trucks here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um. And I say those two things because when I started getting investing in real estate, and this is for all your listeners, if you don't feel like you know enough people or have the right networks in place, take a day to yourself and think about what's around you. When I first got started in real estate, JD, I um, I would just say to my head, these are the two things that I only know about Nashville, that apparently everyone and their mom is moving here because I owned a moving company. So I knew like how backed up we were with business. And two, all I know is construction workers. I know framers, electricians, plumbers, all this, because I was in construction before this and I speak the language. And I don't mean just Spanish. I speak the language. There's a language <laughs> in construction. And um, you know what I'm talking about. And um, I, I was, and now looking back, I'm like, this is what, even when I'm coaching my students, this is what I mean by look around you. I knew that everyone and their mom was moving to Nashville and what areas. So I knew that everyone started in a certain area in Nashville before they moved out to their primary homes. And I knew all the construction guys. And that's all I needed to get started in real estate. 
Um, and then from there, man, I just hit the ground running, bought my first single family and I'm still buying the same type of homes. I haven't deviated from my plan. I got a couple of short-term rentals here, a couple of apartment complexes that I've partnered up with other people, but my main shtick is my, my cash flowing, boring single family homes. Same. And I don't talk to a lot of people who specialize in that, believe it or not. A lot of people get caught up in other different things, which there's, you get, I made a post about it the other day. You can make money. And pretty much any route in, in real estate. And I'm, I'm like you, I've dabbled in other stuff. I've had a mini mobile home park. I got some short-term rentals. But when I sit down, somebody asked me, what do I focus on? When I sit down and I look for properties myself <clears throat> without them being brought to me, me, I'm looking for B to C class neighborhoods, single family homes, distressed properties, dis- distressed sellers where I can force appreciated immediately. And then boom, I got cash flow and then appreciation is going to happen over time. So it, it is a strategy. It works. It's boring. People don't like to talk about it because it's not really romantic. Um, but if you want to make a lot of money in real estate, go buy a bunch of single family homes. It appeals to the masses too. I want to take a step back, Felipe. So you said, you you know, you got into real estate. I know you were, um, you know, policing didn't work out. You, you got the moving company going uh, and you see people are moving to Nashville. But what what sparked you to run into bigger pockets and listen to Brandon's stuff or, uh, you know, read any books that you read? Like where did that all of a sudden come from? Yeah. So, um, I knew that what I was doing wasn't going to be it. And I knew in my, in my gut that I was going to be wealthy and like, but I, I was willing to put in the work. Like I remember being on the construction site, bawling my eyes out at like 10 o'clock at night because I had a job to finish throwing like, a drywall and wood into the dumpster and just knowing in the, in my heart of hearts that I was going to be rich one day, but this is what it was going to take. And I had no idea where the end was because I was so far at the beginning, but I knew that. And I don't know if this is biblical. Or I don't know if this is the spirit. I don't know if, I don't know where I read this, but I just heard that if you do the right things for long enough, you'll be successful. And I was like, I know it's Saturday afternoon. I should be out clubbing, partying, chasing women, whatever, but I'm not. I'm, I'm, I know that this is the right thing to be doing right now. And I said, other than this, I need to be educating myself about real estate because this is going to sound terrible, but uh, I, I'll never forget this quote that I saw on social media because it hit me so hard. It said, even Jesus couldn't find a place to rent. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds so terrible. But I need to educate myself on the, uh, the second oldest profession. We all know what the first one is. The oldest second profession in the world. And I need to do the right thing for a long time, which was real estate and just keep hustling, keep working, saving money for when I'm ready to buy real estate. And that's what wow. I did, man. For two years, I saved up every dollar I had uh, because I wasn't bankable because I didn't have a regular W-2 job. So nope. I just saved up every dollar I had. I've never used hard money or private money. I can say that on here too. I've also never bird. I'm not a fan of the bird strategy. Um, personally, I don't, I don't see it, but maybe it's just cause I'm not that smart. I don't see how it works. Um, and I knew like after listening to all these podcasts, I was like, I'm not out there to make a hundred dollars cash flow house. I'm trying to make eight, $900 per house. I, I don't want to have a thousand units. I want to have a hundred units that make me a hundred thousand a month. I was like, I don't want a thousand units that make me a thousand dollars. I want a hundred that make me a hundred thousand. Like I was like, after listening to all these podcasts, not just the ones that I like and not just the ones that tickled my fancy and not the ones that were cute. Like I was like, I'm listening to over 300 podcasts of successful entrepreneurs. And I saw this like consistency in the ones that had long-term wealth. Um, 
like real estate old school, rest his soul. But he was one that I really, really, really trusted and I would confide in. And, and he was like, dude, I do single family homes. I don't know what all this fancy stuff that other people are doing. He's like, but I live next door to the, I think it's the Alabama football coach, dude, that's really famous. And uh, some other people. And he was like, I don't know about them, but I got rich off of single family homes. I'm like, I like you. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, this I don't know guy. about this fancy stuff. I got a bank that funds them. I got to paint them. And then that's it. We, you know, we buy the next one. I was like, man, I like this guy. That's awesome. And I want to highlight, you know, one thing you used, a couple of things you said. Number one, you were talking about the strategy you use. I use Bird to this day, still use it. I also have lines of credit, which we'll get into, which I know you're a huge fan of. I've done seller financing. Um, so there's, there's the beautiful thing about real estate is there's a ton of different ways to do it and be successful, just depending on what you're trying to accomplish. But more so, I want to dive in and let all the listeners know Felipe saved up money for two years. If you look at Felipe's social media today, you look at my social media today, you look at other people who are public figures talking about their journey, it can make you seem as though you're behind and that they just were able to make this happen overnight. That is not the truth. I know my story as I paid off, <clears throat> paid off debt from 2013 to 2018, 2013, 2018, I did not invest anything. I was just paying off bad debt that I got myself into right when I come out of college. And then, and only then did I start buying real estate in 2018 and learned how to scale and grew a nice portfolio over the last few years. But guys, this was a journey. And so if you're at that place of where you're saving up money, you're getting your finances in order, you're still learning, great, that's okay, you're not behind, we're all on a different journey. The key for you is once you're in that financial position to pull the trigger. Where you get yourself in trouble is when we just start having paralysis by analysis and not doing what we need to do because at that point, like Felipe, this entire time while he's getting ready financially, what's he doing? He's learning, he's educating himself, and then the man went and pulled the trigger when the time was right. If you don't pull the trigger, that's where the problem is. But don't get discouraged at yourself because of where you're at in your journey. Yeah, no, that's that's really that's really good. Um, one of a couple of things that I've like don't understand, and again, I'm not saying it's wrong, and other people have found success doing it. But a couple of things that I couldn't figure out was like how the burst strategy works long term. How if 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 you have to get hard money or private money to do deals, I don't know why, but I just don't feel like you're you. I don't know. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but to me, I take a deal to the bank. If the bank won't fund it, then it's not a good deal. Like they spend millions of dollars to not lose billions. I'm, I, hey, you know, banker guy, is will you fund this? Is this a good deal? They'll underwrite it. They'll get their people out there and they'll say yes or no. And I just go based off of that. And I think that's one of the reasons I can say in the last seven, eight years, I've never lost money in real estate. And I probably won't because I play it really, really safe. I've been poor. I don't ever want to be there again. Um, so I just buy slow but I know that my wealth is guaranteed. Yep. And that's smart. You guys be conservative in your underwriting and we can get into all that here and what that looks like in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but you don't want to get carried away and start doing dumb things in real estate. If you over leverage yourself, um, then you could put yourself in a bad position to lose. But if you're just smart, it's really hard to lose if you do things the right way and you're conservative. So uh, Felipe, tell us about that. The first deal you did. So you said you, you sold a mobile home park and then turned that into a, uh, single family home. Like, what's that like for you? Are you nervous? Uh, are you scared to take the plunge? What all did you have to do? What the numbers look like? How'd you figure it all out? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, when I graduated high school, um, my mom gifted me her portion ownership in a mobile home. I had to buy the other half of it. Uh, now that mobile home produced income while I was in college because I rented it out to a tenant that I literally still have to this day. Wow. Victor, the painter, if you know, if you've heard any podcast that I have, <laughs> you know who Victor, the painter is JD. Welcome to the club. Now, you now you know, the story of Victor, the painter, Victor has been with me for Victor, the painter has been with me. He literally just painted my most recent property that I got. He, I wrote them the check a couple of days ago. Um, he rented the mobile home while I was in college. So he paid off my whole lot fee. It's not a mortgage. It's a lot fee. And I lived for free all through college. Um, Victor, uh, so once I graduated college, I went to sell the mobile home. Uh, and that was my first down payment for my first single family home. So out of college, I went and bought a single family home using the down payment from selling the mobile home. Uh, and that's the story of the famous you know, uh, Victor the Painter and the mobile home. And then Victor went with me to the single family home that I bought. And actually, I rented him the master bedroom at, I believe it was 700 bucks and my mortgage was nine. Uh, wow. So I had to pay 200 bucks out of pocket. I don't think I've ever paid a mortgage, JD, like ever. Um, I love it. So he, he was paying 700 bucks because he got the master. I was paying uh, 200 bucks and we were splitting the bills. Um, and that, that's, that's kind of how that mobile home, the, the mobile home kind of played into it. And then I just saw the power of real estate through that. And how like a tenant could take care of your mortgage. And I was like, yo, I'm, I definitely can't stop doing this. That's amazing. And so you got into that first home. And like you said, you you realized, you saw the light. I'll never forget the first one I did. I was so freaking scared. You're, I feel like you're more of like, hey, I'll dive right in. Whatever happens, happens. I'll figure it out. I've done my due diligence. I'm not scared. I was over here trying to back out of that first deal because I was so scared that I didn't run the numbers right, that the house was going to burn down. I wasn't going to have a tenant, whatever the case may be, and really wanted to back out. My best friend who helped me get the deal was like, no, you're not backing out. You're buying it. Um, and then when I bought house. it, it was like, oh my gosh, like, let's just go crazy and buy as many as we can. Yeah. So you bought that first one. Victor comes in, you rent out a bedroom to him and you've seen the light. It's off to the races now. So what does that look like for Felipe? Yeah. So from there, so just to kind of tell you where I'm at now, I'm at 83 units now. Um, what, how did I get from this to 83? I can tell you the story and I bet every other person can on, on the podcast will tell you the story of how they scaled using this money or that, or this and a third. I can, I can narrow it down now to a couple of very, very simple um, things that I think will add more value to your listeners than, you know, how big my portfolio is and how I did it. There's a couple of things that I did that are guaranteed to give you success. In my opinion, one, the person that I married um, has contributed to my success more than anything that I can think of. My my wife, my partner, whoever you choose, I, I, I can't remember the book that I read where this guy talked to like 100 millionaires and they all said a bunch of different things where they said at the end of the day, the person that you partner with in life, who you marry is going to contribute or take away uh, from your success more than anything. And I can 100% say that. So one of the reasons that I feel that I was able to scale so quickly was because I have the right partner. Uh, and then the second thing that I coach my mentees on, the guys and the girls, is as humans, we tend to, uh, males, let's go with males. Males are, 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 are sexually active. For me, if I don't have to go out and chase women, right? If I'm, if, cause I'm, cause I have a wife, I'm married. If I don't have to go out and chase, I can focus on the vision. I can focus on real estate. I can focus on this. 
And I, that's like 90% of what guys want all the time. So if you can take care of that with the right person and you know that you can now focus on your business, I, I, all day I'm a hundred percent focused on business because I don't have to worry about my wife. I don't have to worry about my household. I don't have to worry about my kid. I don't have, like all that is being taken care of because I've married the right person. So number one, a piece of advice, in my opinion, from how to scale real estate business, whatever your goals are financially, is just make sure that you have the right partner. Number two, educate. I mean, I was big on like, oh, I can do this on my own. I don't want to get any coaches. I don't want to get any partner. Like I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Uh, and I was really just holding myself back. Over a two, $3,000 mastermind or I don't know, whatever coach program you want to get to, just find the right one. And those are shortcuts. Those are like cheat codes in video games. Coaches can <clears throat> definitely like trajectory you a lot further than, 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 uh, than doing it on your own. And for the record, I have been by most people's standards successful in real estate, not to the degree Felipe has, but I still, I still have coaches and I still join groups. Um, and so, uh, the, the reason why, just like Felipe said, it is like a shortcut. Um, because if you read a book, I love books. I still read books, but you can't go ask the person like the specific detailed questions, uh, when they come up because each deal subjective, but when you have that mentor coach, whatever, then you get the base knowledge, right? Through, through our mentorship, we give the base knowledge. We have coaching calls, but then when like, I got a call at 12 with one of my students because they got a specific question and the value that comes with that, even for me to this day, to be able to call somebody and get that specific question answered. So I'm not having to search through the, you know, through hoops or maybe do it wrong. Dude, you can't beat it. You can't beat it at all. It's invaluable. I completely agree. And then, so I would say pick the right partners. Number one, number two is make sure you get it right, the right, right, right people and coaching. And then the last one is I would say, if you haven't identified your why, and I don't want to make this sound cliche, uh, if you haven't identified why you're doing this, then you're 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 bound to fail. If I'm being honest, for me, uh, my one of my first big deals was a six unit apartment complex in the college town where I went to school at in Cookville, Tennessee. Cookville, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah Cookville, Tennessee. You don't even say the K; it's just Cookville. <laughs> Cookville. So it was in it was in Cookville, Tennessee, and that property was making me like twenty five hundred bucks JD in cash flow, like. I was like, dude, I've, I hit it. I'm like, this is what the podcast are talking about. This is awesome. And at night, JD, when I was in bed by myself listening and, and like in my thoughts, I hated it. Wow. I hated real estate at that point. I was like, this is not okay. I thought that I had reached the, the epitome of buying real cash flow. Like I got a great deal. Apartments were rented. Like it was awesome. But JD, I hated it. And I realized that I hated it. And I talked to one of my mentors and he said, read the book life and air. I don't, here's, here's a difference JD between uh, something I think you're going to grow into. I don't give my students the answers. Even if we get on a one-on-one, -on -one. I give them the way to find it. And, mm -hmm. and, and some of my students hate me for it and leave. And some of them are like, yo, I'm going to be with you forever. But my mentor was like, I was like, dude, I hate real estate. Like I reached what I thought was the epitome what the hell is going on, dude? And he was like, read this book called Life and Air and let's talk in, 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 in a week. I said, okay. And in the book Life and Air, it talks about, um, you know, the why in real estate. It's talking about a gentleman who like almost lost his life, had a whole business and realized that time was more important than money, blah, 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 blah. Go read the book if you haven't read it. So then what I did instantly after reading the book Life and Air, I realized that I wasn't in real estate for money. 
And that's what I had thought I was at the beginning because out of 320 some podcasts I listened to, 318 of them probably spoke about the money of real estate. But no one talked about the time yet. They do a little bit more now. And I realized that I was trading $2,500 a month of cash flow or whatever it was, something like that, for a lot of my time. Because I had to manage the property correctly. Like it was, I wasn't, I, I just wasn't good for me. And I sold it. And I sold it and I bought one single family house cash in Nashville, Tennessee that made me $2,000 a month. So less cash flow, less ROI, less COC, cash on cash, less everything. Interest rate was where, like it was going backwards in, in everyone's mind. They're like, you went from six units to one single family house? And I was like, yes, but it's paid off. And I don't talk to the tenants, but twice a month. This is real estate. This is what I want. And I found my why. I wanted to get wealthy and rich because I wanted my time back. Yep. And that's what that single, fa- single family house did for me. It bought me back my time. And then <laughs> this is where I transitioned into Burr versus line of credit. Took that property to a banker. And if you want, we can talk about the financing, about how, I've, how from that one single family house, I've built what I have now. But it was all because my mentor told me to read this book, the cheat code, right? He had a cheat code. Oh. I read the book and I was like, now I know my why. It's interesting because a lot of the folks, and I know this won't be the case <clears throat> for every guest that I have on here, but but the last few guests we've had is everybody's been kind of in the same thought process of they just want freedom. I think, Felipe, back in the day, you know, <clears throat> not even that long ago, I shouldn't even say back in the day, but call it 2014, 2015, um, people were still obsessed with chasing that dollar. And then I think so many stories have come out from people reaching freedom and you learn based on these stories, your story that that freedom is so much sweeter than that dollar. Because you look at the the cliche stories, they make movies about it all the time. The dad who works hard and makes a bunch of money, but he's never there. And when our generation grew up see, seeing that, and we don't want, I don't want that. You don't want that. Travis, who we were just talking to, the young retiree about 33, he doesn't want that. We want freedom. And what's funny is, you know, what comes with freedom, money, because you got to have money to get that freedom. But if you have that vision set on, I'm chasing this freedom. Okay. I'm not chasing this material stuff. I'm not going to sacrifice what matters uh, and neglect my freedom and neglect the people I love, then you stay grounded and you get the best of both worlds because you're wealthy. You can go on the trips, right? You can, you can get away on the weekend, but more, more importantly is you can wake up on a Monday. And if you want to go play golf, you go play golf. You want to get out on your boat, you get out on your boat. And, um, I think you're spot on with that, man. And it's been cool to see how you've made that happen in your life. So I would love for you to talk about um, your strategy. You know, I have a lot of people in here who have a bunch of different strategies. We're the same when it comes to single family home. You really focus in on utilizing those lines of credit. So walk walk the audience through how you, how you um, have mastered that. Yeah. And let me preface with, there's nothing wrong with the birth strategy. There's nothing wrong with the line of credit strategy. There's nothing wrong with most of the strategies if they're used correctly. For me, I go back to, I'm here for my time. And bro, I'm like, no point intended because I'm Mexican, but I'm like the brown stick in the color pencils. Like I'm not the brightest one. Um, And when I bought that first single family house cash, 
And then I went to the bank and said, hey, I'd like to leverage the equity in the house to buy more real estate. And I'll never forget. She was like, yeah, that's really smart. Why don't you cash out refinance 80%? And I was like, okay, how much is that? She's like, well, how much did you pay for it? I was like, 180,000. She's like, all right. Well, we can let you borrow 120. I was like, okay. So what about the other 60? When do I get that? She was like, no, you get 120. And I was like, what do you get? She was like, the house. And I was like, wait a minute. I just paid 180. Why are you giving me 120 and you get the house? And then she showed me the amortization table where I was paying her back like 250. I was like, it won't be worth 250 for three years. You get a good deal and I don't. And she was like, well, you get the cash. And I was like, but if I buy three more, there goes all my money. I've been working two years for this. She was like, well, that's how it works. I was like, no, see you later. And I left. <laughs> and I got in my truck. I guess I'm a big crybaby because I cried again. And I was like, shit, two years and I did it wrong. But I was happy because I had my freedom. I had my 2020 something, yeah, about $2,000 a month cash flow. And I was like, okay, well. So I went back to the bank like a week later and I was like, there's got to be something we can do because I'm not going to cash out refinance, but I want to leverage this house because I know that's what everyone does. And she was like, no, like that's the only way. Uh, and then eventually she was like, well, we could give you a line of credit on the property. I was like, okay, what is that? And she was like, well, I'll give you access to 120,000. I was like, all right, but I don't want to pay interest on it monthly. Oh, because in the cash out refinance, bro, as soon as you get that 120,000, you're paying interest on that plus some money to the loan. And you might not have somewhere to put it. You got to put, so like, dude, this blew my mind. I was like, okay, so you're going to give me 120. And then what do I do with it? She's like, well, then you go down to the teller and you deposit it. And I was like, well, hold on a damn minute. You're telling me that you're going to give me 120. I got to pay you back 250 and interest. And I'm going to give you back the money. Miss K, I'm not the smartest, but I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Why would I do that? Anyway, so then she told me about the line of credit a week later. And I was like, okay, so you give me access to that line of credit. She's like, she's like, yeah. I was like, okay. And when do I pay on it? She's like, well, you only pay what you use. I was like, okay. So if I have uh, a $50,000 down payment, I can take it out of the line of credit and I'm only uh, going to pay interest on 50,000. She's like, that's right. And when do I pay the money back? She's like, well, whenever you want. And I was like, okay. And whose money is that? She's like, well, it's other people's money that they put in the bank, but you get to use it. And do, do you get my house? She was like, no, unless you don't pay your loan. I was like, okay, I like this a lot better. So she gave me a line of credit for 120 grand. I'd put $40,000 into a house. I would let the tenants pay it off with the mortgage rent. All the cash flow would go towards paying off line of credit. I would do a flip or a wholesale here and there. And then I would do another one and another one. And that $120,000 line of credit has built me a $10 million portfolio. Wow. And so you just kept I've repeating that to, process. I've never had to restart my loans, like cash out refinance. With a cash out refinance, you got to restart your loans. Mm -hmm. A line of credit, you're paying on the bottom half of that loan. And over here is interest only. 
but then the tenants pay this off and then you can reuse it. So I never understood why people refi. I just, like I, like I said, I'm not the smartest guy, but just, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I try to explain it to myself. Like I'm sitting there in my bed. I'm like, okay, you cash out refinance and then you're like, tenants paid off and you restart your loan. And then I'm like, that doesn't make sense compared to a line of credit to me. And I don't know, maybe I'm just hard headed. Yeah. And I think a lot of people when they're, when they're refinancing, it's because they're using somebody else's money. They don't have that asset to access that equity to start is my guess. And so I think it's once they get some assets built up and then they can pull that equity out, then, you know, they can pull that line of credit off of a, you know, an asset, but they got to pay the, if they're getting started with a private lender or a hard money lender, that hard money lender or private lenders got to get their money back. So I feel like it's a little trickier, you know, to get started. So, so that's where I, that's where I go back to. If you don't have a good deal and the bank ain't going to fund it, but a hard money lender. Okay. Let me put it to you this way. What's the job of a bank, JD? Well, the bank will fund it. I'm not talking about deals that the bank won't fund. I'm talking about no, being the way, able. The, so here's, here's the way, here's the way I look at it with like banks and hard money. A bank's job is not to lose money, right? They're there to make money on interest, but their main job is not to lose your money. Especially like, right? A hard money lender's main job is to make money. So again, I just go, I'm JD. I'm not smart. Like, I, I don't know if we got me on this podcast. I'm not like, I, like, I just look at, I'm like, well, I'm going to go with the bank because at the end of the day, I know that the hard money lender is out to make his money. The bank, at least their job is not to lose money. So I'm going to go with the bank for now. Yeah, I think so, the I think so the I benefit is the hard money is they're going to allow you to close quicker and then they're going to lend you on the rehab where a traditional bank isn't going to lend on the rehab. The traditional bank will lend to the property. They'll lend to the the small local banks will lend to the property, but oftentimes they're going to make you come up with your own capital. So you got somebody who has no asset and they don't have a ton of capital to be able to buy this with 20% down and then put another 30 in rehab can then go to a hard money lender and then get all that bundled in only had to put 10% down, come up with that 10% with a private lender and they're able to do the entire project and get them jump started. So I see a place for both. I, I, I really do. I've done well, both. Well, let me, um, let me, let me debunk that. Cause I've heard that. A hundred, yeah. I've heard that a hundred no, times. Let's, too. Let's, let me debunk it. that one. Let me, let me debunk that yeah. one. Cause I think that one's, that one's trash too. So when I go to the bank and I have a $200,000 home, if I know that it's a deal, I have to have it under contract for less than 20%, which is what the bank's going to ask me for. Mm. So it's not a deal if I'm paying market value. So if it's a $200,000 home, I better get it for 170 minus repairs, 150, 160. So I take this contract to the bank at 160 and I'm like, hey, I have this contract at 160. It's worth 200 and ARV is 250 maybe, right? Like here's some comps. So my banker will say, okay, so I need 20% of your contract. Okay, 160. I'll bring you the 20%. Okay, let's say 30 grand. So 160. So now the loan is 130. At closing, I also close on a line of credit. So I get closing and a line of credit because it's worth 200 and I'm in it for 130, right? That's the loan. So there's $70,000 worth of meat on the bone. They're going to give me 50,000 of that. So then I use that for the rehab, right? And that's it. What are you I, using for the down payment? They're letting you use the line of credit for the down payment? For the down payments all rolled into one big, one big loan. So, so you, you don't, don't have to come up with a down payment to, to get it started. The thing is, people aren't willing to go build the relationships to do this. A hard money lender, in my opinion, is a get rich quick. They're like, oh, well, I didn't get enough meat on the bone. I don't have the relationship with the bank. I'm just going to go do the next best, easiest thing is get a hard money. Anybody can get a hard money loan. Anybody can do that. That's how you lose money. If the bank is not willing to fund a deal 100%, it's not a deal. I don't care what anybody says. It's not a deal. If you bring an opportunity to my banker 
any banker. I know for a fact because I know underwriting. If you take a, a, a if you take a deal to a bank and you can paint the picture, they will fund a hundred percent of any deal. There's got to be enough equity on it, and there's got to be a good ARV. Yeah, I had a lender who would who would lend me off of the uh, after repair value um, or after the appraised value, excuse me, instead of the purchase price. I would venture saying the listeners, you guys are you guys are, are lucky you're getting to hear this because this is this is good. We got two thought processes, and so you can and you can see how we do it. I would venture to say that. Not every banker will do that. I got a relationship with a lot of them and no, not they're not all, no, they will not all lend a hundred percent. I've done a lot of deals with a lot of them and there are, you may can find one or two who will, but the, they're not, they're all not going to do it. No shot. No, they're, they're not. And I, I agree a hundred percent. So let's talk about that if that's okay with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when I, when I, so the reason I don't build relationships with hard money lenders or private money lenders is because they're not long-term. They're only going to be there as long as they need. A hard money lender is going to come and go every five years or less or more. And you can't rely on that money forever because they're going to change. JD, how many hard money lenders have you gone through, right? Yep. So you might be building these relationships for three or four years. But if you want to invest for, for, the, for the next 30, 40 years, you're going to be changing 10, 15 hard money lenders in your lifetime. Or you take the time to build a good relationship with one bank. Where the hell is Pinnacle Bank going? They're going to be there for a hundred years once I'm dead and they're going to probably lend to my son. Mm-hmm. See, I'm, this is what I'm saying. I've, I've researched real estate from before slavery, during slavery, after slavery, during these elections, during the next ones. The wealth is made through the banks because the banks will lend to the same family structure for generations. I want to build a relationship with Pinnacle Bank so that my son has a relationship with Pinnacle Bank so that his son can build relationships with Pinnacle Bank. There is power, in my opinion. I can't build a relationship with a hard money lender who is going to lend to my son. That doesn't do me any good. And I learned this from the construction site where Mr. Ron Davis, another one of my really cool mentors, was like, Felipe, my dad was a builder. This bank that I bank at lent to him. He, or that bank, now lends to me. And that bank is now going to lend to my son. And I'm like, this is what you'll never read in a book. I bet you've never read that in a book, but that's the reality. There is banks that have been funding uh, things coming from overseas, then establishment of long-term families here, and then generational wealth going forward. You build generational wealth two ways, with real estate and relationships. And a hard money lender is not going to be there for you long-term. It'll be there in the short term quickly, but I'm not here for quick wealth. Well, the beautiful thing is they'll be there in the short term, for you to be able to then build the relationships with the banks that you can have long-term. And at that point you have equity that you can pull HELOCs out and you can use Felipe's method too. They're beautiful. They're both beautiful. (laughs) Hey, I love them both. I got a line of credit right now. There's so many ways to get rich in real estate. (laughs) So many ways. I love it. All right. I want to move on. We could talk about this forever. I think that was a great segment. So um, I appreciate you uh, being willing to go back and forth on that. That was awesome. Um, You, do wholesaling, you do yeah, fix and yeah. flips, you do long-term rentals. I'm giving you a plug here. Talked with Anton yesterday. Lead generation is huge. You gotta have you gotta have leads coming in to be able to find deals. What uh what are you guys doing? I know, so I'm setting this up on a tee. Uh, what are you guys doing? And why should somebody else use REI Call Center? 
So REI Call Center is a lead generation company for real estate investors who are looking for off-market real estate deals. And the reason I'm passionate about it is uh, because my line of credit strategy relies heavily on finding off-market deals with equity. Like you said earlier, forced appreciation. So if I can bring a $200,000 property to the bank for 150, they're going to fund 100% of it because I can get the loan and the line of credit at the same time. Um, and I think I ran out of money investing in real estate two years in basically uh, because my line of credit was maxed out and I had no more money to invest. And I went to a mastermind going back to coaching, which if you're listening, um, you, you definitely should get into a mentorship program. But like I said, REA Call Center helps you find off-market deals with equity in them. And the reason that I'm passionate about it is because I went to a mastermind where a wholesaler was uh, making like four or five million dollars a year wholesaling ten fifteen thousand dollar licks uh contracts you could say um and i was like that's a lot of equity that you're giving away you're not keeping any of these and he's like no i don't keep any of them i'm like wow that's amazing i'm gonna learn how you do it but i'm gonna keep a lot of them so i keep the best and then just wholesale the rest that's awesome and so uh, talk about REI Call Center, like how you guys, sure. how you, how that came about yeah. and, and what you got, what systems you have in place. Because so, y'all do that for other people now. Felipe's got the leads coming in. I mean, you got, what'd you say, 83 yeah. units, 81 units, something in that ballpark. And so you said, and I was talking to Anton yesterday, who's the CEO of the call center they have. They've got the system down. They know how to get the leads in place. And so now it's not, hey, we're just keeping them for ourselves. Now it's, hey, we're doing this for clients. Yeah. So we were at that mastermind and we listened to Gonzalo Corzo, big shout out to cash geeks down in Florida. Yep. Um, they, they basically showed us how, it, how they do it. And they hired VAs off of like Craigslist and Facebook out in the Philippines and Egypt and in South American countries to cold call for leads. And we were like, what is your biggest pain point? He's like, dude, finding them is not the hardest thing. The hardest thing is managing them. And I was like, really? I was like, okay. So me and Anton, uh, Diego, and Adam started REI Call Center to help manage virtual assistant cold callers for other professional real estate companies wow. like Gonzalo Corzo's. Then Gonzalo bought 21 of our of our cold calls. We were like, whoa. And he's like, I'm not, I can find my own, but you managing them is where the money is. So now we service more than 200 plus clients with um, virtual assistant cold callers to get them off-market leads. And we have all of it. We have the data, we have the dialer, we have the cold caller, the CRMs, the audio files, the training. I mean, we have some of the best cold callers in the country, I bet, because they're trained by some of the best. We have RJ Bates training. We have Naaman Taylor training. We have Elijah Rubin from Closer Olympics. We have some of the top closers um, training our virtual assistants to help our students, to help our clients. That is awesome. That's absolutely awesome. And so now, you know, if you're somebody who's struggling with lead generation, um, you know, you don't know where to look, right? The only place you know to look is, is Zillow and you have nothing, nothing uh, you know, else in place. Oh yeah. Call center helps people like you and, you know, they teach you how to choose, right? They, they're not going to choose a place for you, but they'll, they'll kind of guide you and you're going to pull list. You're going to pull contact information and then you're going to hand it to these guys and then they're going to start dialing. And it's not just, oh, you just hand it over. No, there's whole, um, you know, meetings that are happening beforehand with you and their team. And then they got a quality team who's sitting down and listening to the calls that their VAs are having with 
uh, potential sellers to make sure that the calls are going correctly and that you're staying, you know, aligned with your goals and your targets. And, um, you know, I think it's great, man. We, you guys are a partner of ours and in my academy and the rental academy, and we talk about you in our modules and we talk about you in our coaching calls. And, uh, you know, if you're somebody like me, I'm not going to sit around and call. This isn't going to happen. You know, I'm not going to do it. And so if you're like me and you don't want to call, but you want to generate a lot of leads, um, I would holler at REI Call Center. They do a great job. I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. We we really do. Like, I, I'd love for some some people to be a fly on the wall in our meetings, in our owner meetings. Like, we sit there and talk about how can we make this affordable for the masses? How can we add more value than any other person in the game? Like we're consistently looking to plug the holes of finding off-market deals for people and making it as affordable as possible. Yeah, We're, we're a one-stop shop. That's yep. definitely for sure. That's awesome, man. You guys are doing great. I've kind of watched y'all build it up over the last couple of years and it's happened fast. I know you got to really think it's happened fast because y'all probably had to pivot and- Oh my gosh. Well, what's your one piece of advice? Somebody who's on the fence about investing in real estate or somebody who's got a few properties or struggling to scale. What are you telling these folks? Man, I say back to back to like my core values, keep doing the right thing consistently and you're going to be okay. Um, don't get scared to get started in real estate. Don't be pressured by social media's, uh, you know, different avenues of real estate investing. Find what fits your metric of your why. Uh, and then just really dig into that, figure out why it is you're truly doing this. And then don't deviate from that because all of a sudden midterm rentals look fancy or short-term rentals look this or this, like figure out what it is that is going to give you the most, um, happiness, financial independence, whatever your why is, and just really lean into that. That's great advice. Don't get scatterbrained because it's easy to do that. If you stay focused, like Felipe is saying, you're going to have success. Felipe, man, thank you so much for being on here. This was a fantastic episode. For all the listeners, please share this episode with a friend who could use it. And then go and uh, share this on your story on Instagram and tag me uh, at Finance Cowboy and Felipe. What's your what's your handle on Instagram? At Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. REI. Tag us. We would love to both personally tell you thank you for taking the time out to listen to this episode and just let us know, you know, how it affected you. And, um, you know, I know Felipe's story is inspiring and, and, you know, his methods for real estate and he's just scaled so great and they're building these businesses off of it. So dude, I'm super proud of you. And, and I, again, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast and, uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thanks brother. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for listening in. If you love this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would share it with a friend right now, or if you would go on social media and make sure you tag me so I can thank you personally for helping me to get this message out. I want you to know that I am so darn grateful for you and grateful that I am on this journey with you. So until next time, we'll talk soon.